Amen. All in favor, raise your right hand. All opposed, same sign. Okay, welcome to the family, guys. You're in. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Uh, so thankful for uh, the worship we've had this morning. If you've got your Bible, and I hope you do, uh, let's open to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Uh, we shared with you last week that we would be launching a, a new um, series today. And uh, we're going to try to accomplish this in seven sermons uh, on the uh, Holy Spirit. And today's um, passage will be dealing with the personality of the Holy Spirit. And before we read uh, or anything, I want to define the word personality for you. Because it only just occurred to me this morning uh, as I woke that it is, the way I'm using it is in an archaic form. And I want you to understand what I mean by the personality of the Holy Spirit. Um, today's terminology, personality, we would consider, these are just definitions I pulled this morning, the combination of characteristics or qualities that form an individual's distinctive character. Uh, as I would say about Carla, she's sunshine and dimples. That's her personality, right? That's not what the word we're using today. Another way you would see the word personality is uh, the qualities that makes someone interesting or popular. Uh, same applies, that's not the way we're using the word personality. In its archaic form, it describes the quality or fact of being a person as distinct from a thing or an animal. So we could say the personhood of the Holy Spirit and be more appropriate. And if I had my week to do over again, that's what I would have done. But that's what we mean by the personality of the Holy Spirit. We're speaking of his personhood, uh, that he is a person and not an it or a thing. And so we're going to look through uh, some of that this morning. If you've got, uh, if you're there in John chapter 14, if you'll stand with me, uh, we're going to read verses 15 through 31, and then uh, I will share with you uh, some of the information that we have. Uh, I would encourage you, by the way. Um, if you are hearing this sermon today, that you stay tuned for all seven, or else you're going to think, uh, I didn't cover something, or I should have spent more time somewhere. Uh, if we want to do this correctly, uh, you need to listen to all seven, and so I hope that you'll do that. Beginning in John chapter 14, verse 15, the Lord speaking to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father. And he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live ye shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. 
Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, more appropriately, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You've heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it comes to pass that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise and let us go hence. It's not easy to put one particular passage and exegete and expound upon that passage to teach you, uh, to teach us to learn about the Holy Spirit. But this is where the Lord helped me settle this week, and I think that we can get it done here. So uh, I want you to pray now and uh, ask the Lord to give you understanding and to ask Him to reveal to you truths that you've not formerly known. And then while you're doing that, go ahead and commit to be obedient to him when he shows you those truths. You pray for me as I pray for you. Father, again, we come just so thankful to be here, so grateful uh, for the eternally settled, inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. So grateful that uh, we are uh, indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God so that we might read and comprehend this uh, work. Father, I pray as we move forward today, God, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to understand. And Lord, if there's one in our presence today who's never repented of unbelief, that one who's never determined that they are not God, but you are, that one who is never determined that they are lost in sin, but that you have paid that sin debt. God, if there's one like that here today, Father, and I'm sure that there are, God, would you touch them today? Would you open their eyes so that they could see their need for this blessed Holy Spirit whom we speak of, so that they could be obedient to the, the command to repent and believe the gospel, so that they might be born again, regenerated, to walk in newness of life. God, I love you this morning. I'm thankful for our day. I pray you'd bless it and strengthen in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. In order to get to uh, these uh, verses that I want to share, we have to do a little uh, consideration of context. And where are we in time, in this moment? What is occurring that prompts these words from 
Christ. And so, uh, in a nutshell, uh, John 13 through John 18 are some of the most intimate experiences that we see the Lord share with His disciples. And you and I can be right there. Uh, we can be in that moment. In, in these moments, in this time frame, they enjoyed the Last Supper that we often speak of. They experienced uh, Him washing their feet and teaching to them about daily cleansing and, and not in need of a new bathing, but just the feet. Uh, we, the announcement of the pending betrayal that, that would have shook all of them, even the betrayer was shook that he would announce that it was going to take place. The upper room discourse, uh, the announcement of the coming comforter, the discourse on the vine and the branches, the high priestly prayer, which is in 17, the agony of the garden, and lastly, the betrayal. All of that occurs. All of these things occur in the last 24 hours. You might could even tighten it up. It could be less than 24. It's, it's those last moments that the Lord is spending with his disciples. They believed he was the Messiah. They believed he was the Son of God. They believed he was going to establish his kingdom. And they believed it was going to happen then. Uh, the concept that he would be gone from them, they could not comprehend that. And he in these moments are, is preparing them. And he says, even in this passage we read, I've told you these things so that when they come to pass, you'll believe. And he is sharing with them, and we understand that he's preparing them because that's certainly the feeling in the first part of John 14 where he begins the entire segment of conversation with this admonition to let not your heart be troubled. Don't, don't be worried about these things. These things, it's about to get ugly, boys. That's what he's saying to them. It, look, it's fixing to get loose. Do not be afraid. I'm managing and controlling this like I have everything else. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to the Father. And if I go, then surely I'll come again. And it is, it is all about encouraging them and exhorting them. And then in the first 14 verses, he reminds them that he and the Father are one, that in the Father's house there's a place for them and for all who believe, there, that he is the way to the Father's house. He's the door. He's the way, the one way. Uh, he, he reminds them uh, that, that, he is, uh, uh, that he has revealed the Father to them through his word and through his works. And lastly, that he is the intercessor between man and God and also the mediator between God and man. He packs all of that in those first 14 verses. We could stay there for weeks and not mine all of those truths. We would miss something. But he, he reminds them all of that. And then as we come into verse 15, he has said all of that to them. And in verse 15 and 16, we see a prerequisite, a prayer, and a promise. And he says that all very quickly. The, the prerequisite is, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's the prereq. He says it multiple times through here. Uh, do you want to know whether or not someone is a believer? Well, do they keep the commandments of God? That's going to define that. And you say, wait a minute. Uh, the commandments, that's Old Testament. Well, it is Old Testament, but it was, 
it was typology and it was pointed to, and the Lord said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two hang all the commandments. So if somebody can't do that, they are not spirit-filled. They're not indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. They are yet in an unregenerate condition. And if they are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, some of those attributes are going to show. Good fruit, good tree, good root, good fruit. That's how we know that. The prayer is that he's going to intercede to the Father. The promise is the comforter is coming. You and I are not waiting for the promise to occur. It has occurred. The comforter has come. Those men were waiting. But then, then he goes and he identifies for us uh, in that very shorthand our responsibilities in the relationship with the, with the Lord. We are to keep his commandments. He is there interceding for us and we are receiving the promise from the Father, the one who sends. We also note in verse 16 and 20, 16 through 20, which is where we're going to look today, uh, the person, his place, his permanence, and his purpose. And if you were to look through the remainder of uh, this chapter, you would see in verse 21 through 23, there's a pledge to the believer. It is still current today. In verses 24 and 25, there is a proclamation of truth. 26 and 27, there is peace for the disciple. And 28 through 31 are a prophecy of victory. But I want to spend our time today in verses 16, uh, excuse me, 16 through 20. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. The very first thing I want you to notice is that uh, this concept of the Holy Spirit as a person. Uh, it's impossible, this concept, this understanding is impossible for a, an unbeliever, for an unregenerate person to comprehend. They cannot. Uh, that's why I stated last week, I don't argue about things. I mean, you, you, you're not going to win that argument. If they either see it or they don't. And if they don't see it, God has not yet revealed it to them. And so this, this thing is very difficult for, or it's impossible for an unregenerate. It is hard even for some who are born again. And a, a large number of folks within the, the body of Christ struggle with this without even knowing that they struggle with it. And it all has to do with what we believe the Holy Spirit of God will do and how he will do it and how we appeal unto him for the doing of it. It could be brought into a comedic nutshell and I struggled with this. I started to show the video this morning, and I determined I would not. And so some of you probably have not seen this. But there is a clip out there. It's a couple of years old, and it is of a lady playing in the lightning round on Family Feud. She's standing next to Steve Harvey. And he says, are you ready to go? She says, wait a minute. And then she holds her hands out like this, and she starts bouncing up and down. And these are the words she's saying. Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, activate. It's, it's kind of funny when you see it. You know, she's made a fool of herself there. But what's not funny 
and I'm not trying to be the heavy, but what's not funny is there is a large portion of Christendom and some portion of the body of Christ that believe that kind of Holy Spirit exists. They believe he is some kind of power or some kind of influence, but he's not a person. If, if you notice here, what we see very quickly uh, that we hear people speak of the Holy Spirit as an it, and, and I'm going to define that for you in a moment. They think he's an influence, he's a, a, desi a desired power, a feeling, or an intuition. Remember Simon the sorcerer who tried to buy it? Sell me that power? He wanted the power to issue the Holy Spirit, same difference. Well, this is the thing. The believers know that the Holy Spirit is a person. And as believers, we should be empowered by the Holy Spirit, but he is not a power to be gained. We should be influenced by the Holy Spirit, taught by the Holy Spirit. And there is an intuition that is supplied when we are led by the Holy Spirit of God. He is not less than those things, but he's much more than those things. Those things would fall under the category of the activities of the Holy Spirit rather than the personality of the Holy Spirit. He is a person. We'll learn before this study is over that he is the third person of the Godhead. But he is a person. He is, he is uh, some notable quotes. I had a hundred of these and I, I'm trying to get this thing done and so I cut them down. But just listen to this. Mark Cameron uh, uh, stated it this way. He said, we sometimes confuse visibility and personality. Personality is not an attribute of a body. Is it, it is the attribute of a spirit. You yourself have never been seen. You are not a body. You are a spirit that possesses a body. That's what we're talking about. Millard Erickson stated it this way, a lack of concrete imagery complicates the problem of the Holy Spirit. God the Father is understood fairly well because the figure of a father is familiar to practically everyone. The Son is not hard to conceptualize because he actually appeared in human form and was observed and reported on. But the Spirit, the Spirit is intangible and difficult to visualize. And so we're talking about a whole other issue of faith and how we access that. It begs the question, why is the person or the personality of the Holy Spirit questioned? Why is he overlooked? Why is he hard to comprehend? Well, if we just spend a little bit of time in the scriptures and then apply some, some carnal logic to it, it's pretty, pretty easy to understand why. He seems impersonal. He can't be seen. He isn't concretely described. We have no description of how he appears. He takes on different uh, looks and different appearances. We think about the words that are used for his name, uh, Numa, uh, which is breath or wind. Uh, we think about symbols that are used to depict him. He is depicted by fire, by water, by oil, by wind, by the dove. We have a very hard time conceptualizing that. He's not always associated with the father-son relationship. Now, we get pretty comfortable saying 
in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But there's a, there's a vast majority of, of material that is just Father and Son, where He is not apparent in that relationship. Uh, another problem that we have is, and this, this is more of an inherited problem than it is an understood problem, Numa, uh, the word pneuma is a neutered noun. So, uh, look, I'm not going to go real far right here because this gets out into some area I'm not good with. But basically, before, about three years ago, the English language had two genders. They're working pretty hard to change that. But there is a feminine and a masculine gender. The Greek has three. Feminine, feminine a masculine, and a neuter. Pneuma, the Greek word, is a neutered noun. So when the 1611 guys got together to translate the scriptures in Romans 8:26, they inappropriately translated uh, a, con uh, a, a statement about the Holy Spirit by saying itself instead of himself. And a KJV only guy burn you at the stake over that, but it, it's his mistake, not ours. Uh, it's, he is not an it. He's a he. And they, they, mistake, they made a mistake there. The other problem we have that makes him hard to comprehend is the word ghost. And once again, and again, I'm not going a long ways with this, but we just have to understand words change their meanings over a period of time. And in 1611 English, the word ghost was closer to our word spirit. And our word spirit was closer to their word ghost. So they translated it as Holy Ghost. So people get this visualization of a floating sheet with two holes in it. And he's not the Holy Ghost. He's the Holy Spirit of God. So those things make it difficult. One of the things we notice in these two verses that I read is that he is given a name, the Comforter. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment, but that is a name. He's also referred to over and over and over again in these verses that we've read as he. Those things speak to the idea that he is a person. Uh, David Allen put together a list of ten and I, I think I included them for you so you can look at them. But there are names in the scriptures for the Holy Spirit that indicate he's a person. And these names, the Holy Spirit, he's called the Spirit of Grace, the Spirit of Burning, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Life, the Spirit of Wisdom uh, and Knowledge, the Spirit of Promise, the Spirit of Glory, the Spirit of God in Christ, and then this word Comforter, Parakletos. Those are all names. They indicate personality you wouldn't name an it some people name their cars but that's just silly it doesn't answer when you call it i've tried my truck won't move a bit i'd call it all kinds of things and it won't answer me the, the third thing that we notice about this concept of of the name is he has characteristics which indicate a personality when we look through the scriptures as we just reading through the scriptures and we come across these things, in one thing we notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, he has a will. The Holy Spirit of God has a will of his own. And 
uh, it says there to close that passage as he will. It's talking about uh, how the Holy Spirit uh, moves and gifts in different ways, and he does so as he will. That's a person that does that, not an it, not a thing. He has a mind. Romans 8, 27 talks about what is the mind of the Spirit. He, has, uh, he performs actions, and we're going to talk about some activities in a couple of weeks. But in Romans 8, 26 alone, he helps our infirmities, and he makes intercession for us. Those are things he's doing. Those are actions. Persons do actions. He has a voice. Revelation 7. Matthew 17, 5. They... We hear the voice. He that hath a ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. That's the Holy Spirit of God talking. It's his voice. So he's, he's a person. He's not an it. He's not a superstition. He's not some mystical power. He is a person that represents God the Father and God the Son and dwells within you so that they make their abode in you. The Holy Spirit has a place within the believer. I think this is very important. We see it in the latter portion of verse 16 and verse 17, that he may abide with you. And then he says again in verse 17, uh, you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. We, the born-again believer does not have to go about begging the Holy Spirit of God to come in. The Holy Spirit of God is already in if you're born again. And I've got news for you. If he's in there, you know he's in there. You, you understand. You know it. You may not can tell somebody why, but you know. This, this concept, this is where we see the word, that, that comforter word. Uh, that word, you may read that as comforter, helper, counselor, advocate, intercessor. It's the Greek word parakletos. It is, it, that word is used to describe a legal assistant, someone who comes alongside to plead a, a cause or to present a case. The counselor is the promised spirit who came into the world and, and, and in, in a new distinctive way he did so on Pentecost. Well, where is the Holy Spirit's place within the believer? Well, there's four statements there. He abides with you. You know him. He dwells with you. He will be in you. Those are all just right there. There's four statements describing where he's at. He's that, that concept of abiding in you or with you, that means he's in, the he's in the company of you. He is in association with you. He is an attendant to you. He is accompanying you. He is amid. He is among. Uh, he is with the believer. He is in the company of the believer. He is among the believers. He is attending the believers. He is amid the believers. He abides with you. Where's the Holy Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit of God is within the born-again believer. You don't have to go looking for Him. You don't have to go begging for Him. You don't have to go crying for Him. You don't have to go searching for Him. You don't have to sacrifice for Him. You certainly don't have to lay out on somebody else's grave for Him. When you repented of your unbelief and accepted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God moved in and He made permanent residence in your heart. He is within the believer. He says there in that passage that the world cannot receive it. They don't see Him. They don't know Him. But you know Him. That's what it says. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? You know Him. How do 
do I know him? Because he is a part of me. I know him. It's, it's in contrast to the world. I read a statement this week that I thought was pretty in, insightful. It said that radio waves go unnoticed without a radio. But if you get in the presence of radio waves and turn the radio on, and I got news for you, when you're born again, God put a radio in you, and you're picking up the radio waves of the Holy Spirit. He's there. He dwells with you again. We see those words remain, abide, await, continue, endure. He is lasting. When the Lord, it's so important, when the Lord says to the disciples, lo, I'll be with you always, in the person of the Holy Spirit. When he says to uh, us in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, the, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and forever, I will never leave you nor forsake you in the person of the Holy Spirit. That's how Christ and God make their abode with us, is in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's within. I, I like this, this concept of he will be or shall be in you. That Again, I don't go terribly far here because you all know my destruction of the English language, but it's a primary preposition indicating position, and we can express it a number of ways, but that he will be in you, he will be by you, he will be with you, he will be beside you, he will be together with you, he will be working through you, he'll be working within you to accompany you, amid you, among you, and he will be there. And what we see in those two verses is the truth of the indwelling Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Counselor, the Paracletos, the Helper, the one called alongside to express four times, and it simply drives home the truth that he is within the believer. And as a born-again believer, you are aware of him. Phillips says this, he makes good in us the presence of Christ, and he makes good to us the promise of Christ. Where is the Holy Spirit of God? Well, if you're born again, he's within you. Not only is he there, and I think this may be one of the more rewarding aspects of it, his, he is a permanent part of the believer. He's a permanent part of the believer. Look again in verse 16. He shall abide with you how long? Forever. Forever. But we also pick it up a little bit in verse 17 where it says he dwelleth with you and he shall be in you based on the way those words fall out. It is this, uh, that, that word forever is the word ion or eon maybe is how we would say it transliterated. And it, and it means exactly what you believe it means. It's not an exaggeration. It means ages uh, for eternity, forever or permanently. How long will the Holy Spirit Remain Well, he's a permanent fixture with the believer. The same with those next two, dwelleth with you. That is present active. It means it's ongoing. It's, it's, it's every day. Well, I woke up this morning. I wonder if the Holy Spirit's with me. He, if he was with you yesterday, he's with you today. And then the, that last one, will be in you. That's future indicative. It means it will remain. This is what we think about when we think about the Holy Spirit. This again just occurred to me this morning. So I, I was born again 
in 1989. And uh, been in church all my life, and, and it went through, you, you've read my testimony or you've heard me say it a million times. And, and when I was saved in 1989, there was a period for somewhere in the neighborhood of nine months where I attended church regularly, and, and I, I stopped a lot of the things that I was doing habitually. Uh, a, a number of those things cleaned up, but I did not uh, get plugged into a church. If we want to talk about functionality, I didn't get plugged in. There was no discipleship, and I drifted back out with my friends. I went for 10 years. You would not have known I was a believer. There's no way you would have looked at me and said that man is a believer. Now, if you asked me, uh, I could tell you anything you wanted to know and challenged by a knock on the door or something along those lines, I could give a strong enough testimony to end the conversation. But you would not have known I was a believer. I didn't act like one. I did not think like one. I did not read the word of God. I did not pray. I did not attend church. I didn't do any of those things. Not morally, I was a reasonable person, but you wouldn't have known it. Sometime around my 30th birthday, around 98, 99, in that area, I started having these odd things occur. Be riding down the road in my big tool truck, thinking about how I was going to be a millionaire by the time I was 40, with some godless music blasting with a camel light hanging about my mouth and and getting ready to cuss out the next guy that crossed me. And then I'd get some kind of little twinge. I couldn't describe it. I could not explain it. I cannot explain it today. But suddenly I'd have just this overwhelming dread and guilt and regret for the things I had said and the things I had done. And, and I would be bothered. And, and, and I would, I, it was, sometimes it would even result in a conversation with with Carla, we talk about going to church and getting the kids in church, and then, and then it would just kind of flash over again. Well, I want to tell you what that is. And, and I know some, I know a lot, I have a lot of friends that they got saved today and got called preach tomorrow and started pastoring on the third day and they won the whole world. That didn't happen for me. Let me tell you what it is. I got saved. I know when I got saved. I know what happened. The Holy Spirit of God was in me. And I lived for 10 years in a conflicted state. Doing everything that carnally I wanted to do. And regularly being convicted by the Holy Spirit of God that was in me. And conflicted by the Holy Spirit of God that was in me. That what I was doing was not the right thing to do. I have a 20. I have a friend. Who is living the same life. I know he's born again. I was there when it happened. I've seen the fruit of God in his life. And he is living a spiritually conflicted life because he's indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God who once attaches to the believer is there forever sealed unto the day of redemption by the blessed Holy Spirit of God. And if that is you, if you have walked a particular way and you're not sure and you feel convicted by it, lean into that conviction because the Holy Spirit of God is in there seeking to straighten you up and point you in the right direction. If it's your kid, just keep praying. If it's your friend, just keep praying because when the Holy Spirit of God moves in, He anchors and he never leaves. 
He is a permanent fixture in the believer's life. And he has a specific purpose. This is the last. The Holy Spirit of God has a specific purpose. I don't want to hurt your feelings. But the specific purposes of the Holy Spirit are defined in the scriptures and they do not include miracles. They don't include sparks coming out of your fingers or some other form of speech coming out of your mouth. That's not what they're there for. It's very clear. It is very clear. In this passage alone, it's very clear. He comforts. That's what he says. I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you an orphan. You're going to know that you belong and that you belong to me and I'm going to continue to remind you that you belong to me and I bought you with a price until you walk in such a way that reflects the fact that I am yours and you are mine. I'm in you and you're in me. I will not leave you comfortless. That's one of his purposes. He teaches, instructs, or directs. He, he, he tells us that uh, as we move over, uh, verse 26 there, uh, uh, it says there that, that he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said to you. So he is bringing back everything that Christ had told them, and he'll do that for you of everything that you read in the Word of God. Did you hear, uh, if you were here Wednesday night, you got to hear my father preach, uh, uh, and I, I wish that you would have been here uh, you would have enjoyed it, but he made a statement when he got up to preach in his prayer that I pray all the time, and I have convicted my kids with it over the years, God, would you bring to my mind everything that I have studied and everything you've taught me thus far? He does that. That's the job of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what he does. My kids used to come to me and say, Daddy, i got a big test tomorrow. Will you pray for me? I said, I'll pray that God helps you remember everything you studied. They just hang their head and walk away. <laughs> that won't help. Don't do that. That won't help at all. He reminds. He reminds us of what we know to be true, even when the world seeks to confuse and cloud. He rebukes. That is, we looked at that word last week, reprove, rebuke, expose, convict, correct error. That's what he does. That's his work. He is there to, to help us understand the truth and then walk in accordance with the truth and to tell us when we're not. He guides, he illuminates, uh, leads us into all truth. Look at, turn over to, uh, just real quick, turn over to chapter 16, look at verse 7. I'm going to start reading in verse 7, chapter 16. When you get there, catch up with me. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. If I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of the world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit the Spirit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of himself, for whatsoever shall hear, that shall he speak. He will show you the things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. What is the Holy Spirit's purpose? Well, he reproves, he guides, 
he shows, and he glorifies. That's what he does. If something is happening in your life that does not glorify Christ, uh, show the way to Christ, illuminate the truth of the scriptures, reprove you for doing wrong, remind you of what is right and who is right, teach you concerning understanding and aiding in growth and comfort you, it is not of the Holy Spirit of God. It may be of some other spirit. I had a guy I hired to do some work one time told me he had a spirit of excellence. A few weeks later, I asked him, do you have the spirit of completion? <laughs> Could we get that done? That'd be good. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is not interested in your power. Your power. He's not interested in my power. He's not interested in my accomplishment. He is not interested in my fame, my acclaim, my victory, my wealth, my reputation, except as those things glorify Christ. That's what he's interested in. He's interested in glorifying Christ. He wants to express Christ. He wants to expose the world to Christ and the truth of the he is not a hidden power. He's not a secret potion. He's not a special endorsement from on high. He is rather the indwelling spirit of God. And he is given to every born again believer. When you are saved and justified, born again, whatever word you want to use, you get all you're going to get of the Holy Spirit in that moment. The question today, as you stand with me, is do you know the Holy Spirit of God? The Bible says you do. The Bible says if you're born again... You know him. If you're here this morning and you don't know him, you can know him. Repent. Believe the gospel. There is a God and you're not he. His name is Christ. He died on the cross for you as you your sin debt. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And when you are saved, you'll be justified and given the Holy Spirit of God. Do you know the Holy Spirit of God? Have you repented and believed? The altar's open this morning. Father, I pray you'd bless this time of invitation. Help us, God, as we seek to glorify you, to honor you, to grow in grace and knowledge. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name.
Brother Ronnie, would you come on up this way? Get your hat. Moment.